Welcome to Scale Her Up, the female entrepreneur show with me, Brenda Hector. I'm a business growth specialist helping business owners to develop themselves and grow their businesses so they can achieve their goals and enjoy the lifestyle they dream of. I'm also on a mission to revolutionise the entrepreneurial landscape for women in business. In every podcast episode, I interview someone who has an inspiring story or some great advice for women aiming to start or scale their businesses. If you're new to the show, take a moment to subscribe and please check out the previous ones after listening to this. We've got an awesome community on Facebook. Just search for Scale Her Up and join in. And today I would like to welcome Rosie Elliott, the image whisperer to the Scale Her Up podcast. Welcome, Rosie. Hello, Rosie. Thank you for joining. Oh, hello. Thank you very much for asking me. I'm really looking forward to this. And as I say, enjoy every moment with you. Thank you, thank you. So you've got an interesting route to entrepreneurship, to becoming a business owner yourself. Can you just share with the listeners how you came to be in business? I certainly can. Um, so from the time that I was four years old, um, my mother tells me that I wanted to be a teacher. I used to line my dollies up and um, teach them. I think there was a bit of finger pointing. Um, and so uh, coming up through education, I was quite young for my year, interestingly enough, so I struggled to read and I struggled to count and all sorts. Education was a bit of a problem for me, but it never stopped me talking. Anyway, all I ever wanted to do was to teach in primary school. So I got my two hires and my family wanted me to go to university and do medicine and it really didn't uh, float my boat. So I stuck to my um, guns and that's where I went. And I was out actually teaching before I was 21 because back in the day, we did a three-year diploma rather than a B.Ed. course uh, qualification. So I was quite happy with my early stages, my five and six and seven-year-olds, and that was brilliant. Then, as I say, I got married, um, had my children. And again, back then, you had to resign when you were six months pregnant. There was none of this maternity leave and coming back and whatever. So that was it. And yeah, I, my first um, husband was uh, with Shell and we traveled the world. I actually went and taught again in New Zealand. And then we went to Saudi Arabia and I taught there again. And then we ended up on the island of Borneo and I wasn't allowed a work permit. So that was it, I played golf and sailed. So that was quite nice. And as I say, that kind of uh, was the end of my marriage. And I came back and luckily enough, I had teaching that I went back into. So I then climbed the greasy pole. I ended up as an assistant head and then went and became head teacher at a middle-sized primary school. And then I was lucky enough to get the headship back at Banker Primary School, which at that point in time was one of the largest um, primary schools in Scotland. So... I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I loved the strategic thinking about it. And I was very lucky in as much as I had a, a school administrator and a clerical receptionist. So if I had ideas in that sort of area of my work, they would go and do it for me. And then in the strategic element of the learning side of it, I had two deputy heads who would go off and make it happen. So eventually I decided that, right, I'd had enough. I was in my mid-60s and I thought, no, yeah, I think it's time for a change. 
And so that was it. I think what probably pushed me, Brenda, was that House of Colour, where I practice being a, an image whisperer, is a franchise. And the franchise from my area came up and I put in a bid, not really expecting to get it. And lo and behold, I became a colour and image consultant with House of Colour. And that was an interesting bit for me as well, because of all that cr creative and strategic thinking that I could do, I could now do in a business of my own, except there was one tiny little flaw. I didn't have a school administrator or a clerical assistant to do my um, admin for me, and I didn't have two deputy heads to go and actually make things happen. I had to get off the sofa and do it myself. Yeah, I struggle with it sometimes, don't we all? We would quite like a duvet day, but the pros far, far outweigh the cons. And I just love doing what I'm doing right now. Fantastic. Lovely to hear your story, Rosie. And, you know, for anyone listening who maybe thinks it's too late to start that business that they, they've, they've been thinking about for a long time, what would you say to them? Go for it. I bumped into somebody on one of our House of Colour platforms, social media platforms. And there was a lady that said that she'd always wanted to be an image consultant with House of Colour, but she was 70 now, so she was too old. I don't normally respond to many of the comments on these platforms, but I couldn't resist it. So I got on there and I said, excuse me, I said, I started out on this image whisperer's journey when I was 64. I'm now 70. And if you can go for it, go for it, go for your dreams. Go. If you've always wanted to do it, just go and do it. There's only one person stopping you, and that's you. Find the support around you. I have this wonderful husband who supports me in my business. And when people come to me and they'll spend a day with me on some of the uh, classes that I do, he makes homemade soup. He makes homemade soda bread comes and tidies up all the dirty coffee cups and makes sure we've got milk and the, the kettle is filled. And I never had asked him to do that, but he just wanted to be part of what I was doing. The interesting thing about all of that is at the end of the day, I'll say to my clients, and if you have any questions, and they go, yeah, can we have the recipe for the soda bread, please? <laughs> so, yeah, it's important to have your, your support structures around you and to have that support. So, yeah, go for it. There's nothing stopping you. Brilliant message. Brilliant message. I couldn't agree more. So tell us then about being an image whisperer, a colour and style consultant, and what you do for your clients, because I'm sure there are people listening that could benefit from the kind of service that you provide. Mm, thank you. Well, what I say is that I help you when you're curious about the image that you portray so that we can explore what goes on behind the mirror so that you can stand up and stand out and thrive with confidence and color. There are so many people that will look at social media, they'll look at magazines and whatever, and if you're not built like a stick, you think that fashion and color and style aren't for you. Well, I disagree. I'm five foot one and a half, and yeah, sometimes I'm slimmer than after um, lockdown lockdown but you know I say to my clients as well that we have a triangle of communication which is actually our face and our neck 
And once we have given everybody that cursory look up and down, which is to do really about fight, flight, and do I like you, do I not like you, whatever, we only look at the other person, the person that we're talking to, communicating with, with their eyes and their face. I don't actually care what the rest of you looks like. I'm too busy worrying about what the rest of me looks like. So it's about that inner confidence about if you get your color right and you get your style right, you actually look and feel fantastic. One of the other things I say is that by the time we get in, I'll speak a wee bit more about the color and the style in a minute. If you get all of that right, we actually do empower you through color and style because you look and you feel so good. But we also save you time and save you money because you stop buying the wrong color and you stop buying the wrong style. So I have an interesting thing, you know, so people will say, what do you do in your classes? And I'll go, yeah, I speak about color and I speak about style. And the interesting thing is that if, if you bought a new car, what is the first thing that people will ask you about it? And I bet it's not about how many people can you get in it, what's the size of the engine. I bet my bottom dollar, the first question you, they ask you as a woman is, what color is it? Mm. So what we tend to do is, when we're doing talks like this, we tend to speak about what goes on above the bonnet. When you come to me, we talk about what goes on under the bonnet. We give you the nitty gritty. We give you the nuts and the bolts. We give you about what are your best colors? Are you better in blue-based colors or yellow-based colors, clear and bright colors or soft and muted colors? And when we get you to that, we call that your season. We then tell you how to use it to make you look good and feel look. One of the constant cries, I have two constant cries when people come into my studio the first time. One is they say, you're going to tell me I can't wear black. And I go, well, maybe I am. I'm going to give you lots of alternatives. But my wardrobe's black. Right? Well, I'm not the color police. If you decide not to get rid of the black, then that is your choice. However, sometimes what we say about wearing black is that it can make you look 10 pounds heavier and 10 years older. Mm-hmm. It's a no-brainer. Don't do it. So the other thing is that we then speak about your style, and that is to do with your body geometric. How straight are you or how curved are you? And it's also to do with your yin-yang. So that is Jungian theory about are you ruled by your head or are you ruled by your heart or are you a mixture in between? And again, we get all of that information and we pop it all together and we give you a clothing personality. And then again, we help and support you in order to get you to clothe that body shape and that personality again so that you look good and feel fantastic. So at the end of the colour class as well, we pop you into lipstick. The other thing my clients say to me is, Rosie, I can't find a red lipstick. And I say, I'll, I'll find you three because a woman only needs three lipsticks. You need to come and see me to find out more about that. But it's so House of Colour, uh, we do all of our own makeup so that we make sure that the tone of the makeup is absolutely right. So again, so that you don't waste your money in buying the right, right coloured makeup. Um, we do lots of other things as well. Once you've done your colour and your style, I say, now off you go and sort out your wardrobe. And people go, but I don't want to throw this out because, oh my goodness, I just love it. Well, the question is, does it love you? Because if it doesn't love you, get rid of it. The other fun thing I say is that if you haven't worn it for a year, guess what? Go to the charity shop. If it's been hanging in your wardrobe for a year and you haven't worn it, 
what a waste of space. So um, with your wardrobe review, you may well have told me that you can't bear to throw something out because you just love it. And I'll go, right, it, you maybe do just love it, but does it love you? Because if it doesn't, it has no place in your wardrobe. So get rid of it. And I'll come and help you do that. And I know, Brenda, that um, we came and did a wardrobe review with you. And that was so much fun. Oh, I loved it, Rosie. I really enjoyed it. I was so nervous. That, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what this is going to be like. She's going to be finding all these, you know, they, looking through all this stuff in my wardrobe, that, some stuff that I haven't worn for a long time and, and telling me I shouldn't be wearing stuff that I wear regularly. But actually, you found things in there that I'd forgotten were there and put them together with other articles and it, it was it was great a whole new life to my wardrobe really enjoyed it and you know you've really given me a self-confidence to to dress appropriately for my role and to be comfortable choosing clothes now I think so it's great I think it's that business as well that what what we do with the, the wardrobe review as well as we hopefully come out of it at the end with you with a capture wardrobe because of course, in general, we wear 20% of our wardrobe, 80% of the time. And what a waste, because it is, you, you have wonderful things in there, but we just took them and put them with different things, tops with different skirts or trousers or even shoes, that sort of thing. And it's just about having that creativity and the confidence now that you've got yourself into doing that for yourself. And I always say that once you come to me, I'm like a little pixie on your shoulder that when you go shopping, I'll go eat and you pull something off the um, rack and you look at it and you go, oh, I'm not so sure about that. And I'll go in your ear if it's the right color and the right style, don't you dare put it back on the rail, buy it because it will work for you. In the same way that if you take something off the rail and it's the wrong color in your ear, I go, don't you dare put that back on the rack so there we are I'm with you forever <laughs> so let's talk about the the what's in it for me then Rosie for the listeners you know we talk about in in action coach when we're marketing to our um, prospects and customers to think about what's in it for them so let's say this is a marketing opportunity for you Rosie for the listeners what would what's in it for them what's the benefit to them for working with someone like you remembering that my my audience are female business owners looking to build and, and scale their business up i think the best thing that i can tell them is is about ensuring confidence and, and courage when they're going to go and speak to new clients it's none of that oh my gosh is she better looking than i the person you're going to meet, is she better looking than I am? Is she younger than I am? Is she older than I am? Has she got more qualifications that I, than I have? It's not about that. It's about you having the confidence in when you look in the mirror, you actually go, yeah, that's me. That's me. And it's about being your authentic self. And that's what we do as well. We show you your authentic self. We show you that there's just because there's a color that is a fad at the moment, or a style that is in fashion at the moment, that if it's not for you, don't do it. Be your authentic self, because that way you are going to be consistent. You're going to be consistent no matter where you turn up, whether it's on a social media platform, whether 
oh, God willing, hopefully soon we get back face to face, that people will recognize you for what you are, authentic and consistent. I think those are the two words that, that would come out for me. I try and do that. I try and, you know, I, I don't go with fads anymore. I know my color. I know my style. And therefore, I have a, I'm going to say something, and I hope I don't offend any of your readers, that I have a pet hate. Now, trends tend to last for five to seven years. And luckily, ripped jeans must have been on the go for between five and seven years. And I am hoping that <laughs> they will go out of fashion because I hate them. Why would you touch them? Mind you, maybe, maybe below the keyboard, you might be able to wear them <laughs> at present moment in time. But I hate them. Why would I wear them? So it's about that understanding of where you are and what is fashionable and stylish for you that is going to make you look good. And I keep coming back to those, making you look good and feel fantastic. That, that's the best thing, I think. I would agree. It's, it's about making you feel confident. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you're going into a room full of men or a room full of women or one-to-one or, or whatever. It's as long as you are feeling that confidence that, that people are going to look at you. May I tell them a story? Have we got time for a story? Tell a story, Rosie. Okay. So I have a friend that um, actually was one of the uh, directors with House of Colour. And she, before she became one of the directors, she worked um, in the National Health Service. And she was at management level and uh, therefore lots of meetings, lots of corporate stuff, wore corporate, guess what, black. Okay. She was very, very tall. By the time I met her, she had had her colours and her style done, but I'll come to that in a minute. Anyway, so one birthday, her family clubbed together and they gave her a voucher for um, her colour and her style. So off she went, had her colours done. She is a vibrant autumn, so beautiful yellow-based colours and a richness and earthy, earthy colours. And she had her style done as well. So she is romantic, natural. So she's like a head pirate. All right. So that was fun. And so she began to dress accordingly. So a couple of months later, she went to one of these corporate meetings. And this gentleman, she walked in looking absolutely fantastic. A gentleman came up to her and he held out his hand and he said, hello, I don't believe we've met. And she said, well, actually, yes, we have. I've been coming to these meetings for a year now. She had been invisible. And that's why when you've got, you know, what's in it for you as a business owner, you will never be invisible again. We can't afford to be. Life is too short. And if you're invisible, you may miss out on those wonderful opportunities that will take your business that, that step further. So that's one of my favorite stories about what's in it for you. That's fascinating, Rosie. I did a, a podcast interview this morning with a lady called Abby Hine. And if you're interested in Abby's story, um, you'll find her um, on, the, on the podcast there. But Abby was talking about helping people get into her industry. And she's got a, a career board that she runs as part of her business. And she was saying how people need to be memorable. You need to because it's a sm uh, maybe a small industry and people mm. need to remember you that they might need you or bump into you again could be in in a few years time mm. Mm. So fascinating Absolutely. That you're, you're telling the same you know stand Absolutely. out yeah, yeah i think the, the other yeah 
Yeah, the, I mean, the other thing is that uh, Mehrabin had done research, you can, you can look him up, and he basically says within the first 30 seconds, people have made that, got their first impression of you. And if it's not a good one, it will take another 10 meetings to revise that initial impression. That's an awful lot of work and an awful lot, and, and leaving an awful lot to chance. So yeah, make it count. Awesome, thank you. Great tips to help women in business. So you're you're about six years in business now after your after a full career that you you've mentioned already. Yes. What's what have been your biggest challenges through your through the business part? Mm, that's an interesting one, Brenda. My biggest challenges. Well, I I hope I made your um, your listeners laugh about my idea that I've got to do my own admin now. <laughs> And actually get off and do it by myself as a sole trader i think that is that realization that in actual fact it's you babe there's nobody else to actually get up there and do it you have to do it yourself the biggest challenges i've had a big birthday just this year and i suppose for me and i know and i've been told by so many people that it was you being ridiculous it was and put it this way it's not 50 and it's not 60 it's the next one up and it was that idea, and I had a wobble this year, I had a real wobble this year about why would people want to come to me at my age? And if we're talking about fashion and image, is that not a young person's arena? And I have got over myself, I would like to, to say, but it is that business about finding somebody to make sure that you have accountability to, whether it's your action coach, whether it's somebody on a networking um, group that you're in, whether you create bubble seems to be the appropriate word at the moment, but of like-minded female, doesn't have to be female, but female entrepreneurs that you can bounce ideas off and that they can actually tell you, don't be ridiculous. Or when you have that wobble, to give the, the meta, metaphorical shoulder to have a wee wee on and then say, pick yourself up and dust yourself down, Rosie, and get with it you're doing fine because it's lonely as an entrepreneur you know you you don't have members of staff to raise their eyebrows when you make a suggestion that they maybe don't like you just have to put it out there and test it and if you've got that close knit little bunch of buddies that you can bounce things off I think you're it's a it's a really good thing that for me is probably one of the biggest challenges because having been in teaching all of my life Schools are big, busy places full of people. And suddenly I came into this franchise. Yes, we've got teams. We've got teams up and down the country. And yes, I've got colleagues that are in this business as well. But somehow or other, it's not just quite the same. And it's not that we're in competition. Those colleagues are always there if you get stuck in and around about color, style, wardrobe reviews, makeup. It's about the principles of business. I think you have to have somebody close by that you can that you can bounce ideas off or actually just go, do you know this, Brenda, help. And we can't be too proud. We need to actually ask for that help when we need it. Interesting. Really interesting. I'm going to take you back to your when I asked the question, pretty much the first thing you said, what I took from what you said was that the biggest challenge was your own mindset. Absolutely. Of course it is. Absolutely. And you just have to be big and brave and get over yourself. I mean, that's, that is the thing. It's that business, you know, 
yeah, I can, I have never been scared of walking onto a stage, be it a real stage or, or you know, in front of assembly in my primary school, you know, to face 500 children and 60 odd staff. That, that never has worried me. I've always been comfortable. The mindset is about what happens if, what happens if they don't like me? What happens if I haven't done it right? And you're absolutely right. And I think that's what I was leading on to about getting getting people that you can trust around you, that you can put what happens if and they go and say, Rosie, for goodness sake, you've done it before. Remember, you told me about the time that. And you can then go, oh, yeah, so I did. OK, I've done it before. I'm more than capable of doing it again. And yeah, I think I think that's what it is. Get that positive mindset. Give the gratitudes every morning thank the universe for what you've got and what you're capable of doing and um yeah just go for it so actually uh, at this point i'd like to talk to you about imposter syndrome because i believe that you, this is a new string to your bow that you're working on and it's obviously very relevant to a lot of us female entrepreneurs as well oh, male mm. entrepreneurs also but yeah tell us tell us a little bit about imposter syndrome yeah so I'm really really excited I've just finished phase one of my training with Claire Josa who has done massive research into the imposter syndrome and it is really interesting yeah it is about what I've just said what happens if what if I'm not good enough what if and that is mindset it's not a quick fix you have to get down what she has taught there are four of us um, doing our mentor training at the moment to work with her is that you have to clear out all your own stuff first and it's about that recognition that we all have a little bit of it it's not just females males as well have exactly those doubts and am I imposter am I going to be found out am I going to be found wanting and so yeah so the bit about when I was speaking about what goes on behind the mirror is where I want to introduce more work with my clients about, I'm not going to be, it sounds very lighthearted, but it does my bum look big in this. That's not what I'm going to be talking about, what was on behind the mirror. It's actually about gaining that self-confidence. What is stopping you? What? Because she's given us so many hints and tips and worked us through it. I've had some incredible light bulb moments. And yeah, I want to incorporate that into the service that I give my clients so that, as I say, yes, in front of the mirror, we can, I can through House of Colour and your image and your style, I can make you look fantastic and, and convince you that you look fantastic and make you feel fantastic. Let's just make sure there isn't a tiny little voice in behind the mirror going, what if? What if I'm not good enough? What if I can't do it well enough? What if they find out that I'm wanting? So yeah, watch this space. I hope to have that bit um, up and running by the end of uh, uh, by the end of January. So yeah, really excited about that. Fantastic. You've touched on the fact that it's a franchise, and there are a lot of other franchisees there, and you've got support from the franchisor as well. But who else has supported you on your entrepreneurial journey, Rosie? You mean apart from my action coach? Well, of course you're acting coach. <laughs> I think it's about, well, as I say, my family, um, obviously my husband has been a huge support. The other franchisees in Scotland, so we're put into teams, so we're the Tartan team. 
So there is myself and I've just taken on another associate. So we'll work together in my franchise area. There are, there's a franchisee and her associate in Dundee. There is one in Glasgow and there is one in Moffat down on the southwest coast and then one in Edinburgh. And so we meet not all that often. We have a meeting about once a quarter and that's basically to discuss what's coming out of um, head office, how they're looking towards moving the company forward and keeping it very much, dare I say, on trend. And so there is always that. There are, I've, I've had fantastic I suppose when you're speaking about mindset too, I admit to being kicked, dragging and screaming into the world of technology. So I'd like to give a big shout out to a couple of people that have really helped me recently, really, really over the last couple of years when social media has become vital for us as a tool in which to keep ourselves visible. And that is um, Bob Gentle from Amplify. He has the patience of a saint. As far as he is concerned, I can never ask a silly question. But I think sometimes he goes over, oh, goodness sake, what does she mean she doesn't understand about? But that is that nurturing that he does of people. I'm not even going to say my age. I'm going to say my stage in technology. I'd also like to give a big shout out to um, Diana from Jutolio um, Photography because she too gave me a big shake up and said, yes, Rosie, you can video yourself. You can get it up onto social media. Just get on and do it. And she too has taught me the skills which I need to keep myself. Isn't that interesting? I'm, I'm getting a common thread coming in through here about that word visibility. And I also did to Stacey from, uh, who works with LinkedIn. Uh, I took her 30 day challenge and she again oh, guess what that word it's about consistency and visibility and so I think it's when you're looking for support in your own business find out where you need the help and go and look for the specialists because it's worth their help and and they are so kind in what they share with you and allow you to grow and allow you to not only grow personally and professionally, but also to grow your business as well. And then of course there is Action Coach, I say, with a big <laughs> smile on my face, <laughs> because without you, Brenda, yeah, it was um, it was great working with you. And uh, I, I do know that, uh, that you're always there if I get stuck. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm hearing in that, obviously visibility, but also the people that are helping you to stretch your comfort zone. Absolutely. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, heavens, yes. I remember thinking, really, when I started with you in Action Coach as well, I thought I'd... One of the interesting things about having been in teaching, we're always told that all of these skills that we learn and that we achieve and we polish are transferable. And I remember joining a networking group, quite high-powered networking group, and it was it was as though I'd fallen into another universe. They were using language around business that I had never heard before. Because although I was a head teacher of a large establishment, I had all these people to help. You know, if I, you know, not only not only my office staff and my and my um, deputy head teachers, but my janitorial staff. If anything went wrong with the building, well, 
they fixed it for me. So I suddenly was without my fixers. And so, yeah, I was really outside my... I don't even know where the stopcock is in this house. I keep saying to my husband, over 25 years, he has disempowered me because if he ever goes away, I haven't a clue how to turn the water off. But it's it is that thing about that comfort zone is, yeah, I'm very, very comfortable doing the image and doing the style workshops and reviews and whatever. I've really stretched myself in technology and thinking about media, thinking about pivoting my company, where I can take it, where I can take my business that will keep me up to date and that people will still want to come and see me because I can go that extra mile and give them that little bit extra. And yeah, that is, that has, when you, I suppose when you've done colour and style for six odd years, it's, you fall back into that comfort. It was, it's like being, having been a teacher for 20 odd years and you then become a head teacher and you suddenly you're interviewed for this job and one day you're in the classroom and the next day you're in the head teacher's office and somehow or other you're just expected to know what to do. And, and so that stretches your comfort zone in many, many ways. So for me, it's been the same stretch yet again about like, what am I going to do? And it's that little, it is the mindset. Can I do it? And of course I can do it. I know I can do it. And it's, again, I'm, I'm coming back full circle again, Brenda. It's about that, that group of people that are with you that will give you that little extra push. Um, it's almost about like pricking a balloon, you know, so that you're no longer in that comfort bubble. You're out there, you're raw, that's fine, but you've got that support. You're not going to fall. And if you do feel like you're falling, you're going to have that safety net around you, which I think is really, really important for all of us in business. And we all know that the more that you step out of your comfort zone, that then becomes more comfortable and you're, you expand your comfort zone so you, you're able to do more. So, yeah, it's... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If anybody had told me probably 40-odd, 50-odd years ago that I would be running my own business in and around colour style and imposter syndrome or human behaviours, call it that, um, I would have gone, pardon, I don't think so. I don't think that will be happening to me. I keep thinking about my, well, another funny story to tell you that um, my grandfather, who I was only two when he died, but um, he was born in Kirkubri in the southwest of Scotland. And somehow or other, he ended up in Manchester because his father said that he was going to have to go and work on the farm and he didn't want to go and work on the farm. He ended up in Manchester and he ended up working for my grandmother's father. I don't know what he was doing, but he ended up in Aberdeen and he bought a lorry. He bought a lorry because he suddenly realised that people in the winter in the northeast of Scotland were going to be buying coal and how was the coal going to get to the, the farms in the outlying rural areas? So that was fine, he bought that. And then he suddenly thought to himself, right, but I've got this lorry, people are going to be buying coal in the summer, what can I do with my lorry? And he said, ah, oh, yeah, but you know this, the farmers will need to get their grain to market. So he then became, he, he was, he started his, his own company, Segian Company, who were a coal and grain merchants. Now, how's that for entrepreneurialism? I've no idea how old he was when he left school, but I bet he didn't have many exams. But he had that mindset that, you know, let's think outside the box. Let's get outside the comfort zone. Let's just do it. And yeah, that's what he did. 
there are some very common threads coming through the podcast interviews that I'm doing these days. So yes, mm. great, great messages, really great messages. Now, you know that I've started this podcast because the statistics aren't great when we look at how many women are starting and scaling their, their businesses. There's been quite a bit of research carried out into why that is. And one of the challenges is that women don't see role models of other women in, in their own businesses. And that's part of the reason for this podcast, talking to people like you who are running their own business. But because of your background in education, I just wondered if you, you know, if we could talk for a little while on what happens through education because the statistics are there that girls are outperforming boys all through school and um, higher education then what happens when it comes to starting their own business I think that's it's fascinating isn't it um, really? I, if I look back to when I came out of school I think I touched on it my my father and my grandfather really they were GPs and grandpa Alison had his own obviously his own practice and my dad went in there they wanted me to go into uh, medicine as well I was never interested in medicine I wanted to teach so did my three years at um, teacher training college and that was fine I was thinking about this the other day absolutely fascinating so I went into a school in Maastricht in Aberdeen and there were four primary ones four primary twos and a nursery and the head of that establishment was an infant mistress. This, the primary school that those children moved up into was Spring Hill Primary School. And guess who was head of that establishment? It was a headmaster. And back, so that was uh, early 70s. And all through that time that I was teaching, the heads of establishment were male. So when I came back and went back into teaching, most of the larger schools still had male head teachers, but women were beginning to permeate into smaller schools because there was still a there was still a teaching commitment. There were maybe a couple of classes, and obviously it was okay for a female to, to run a smaller school. By the time I had finished teaching at Bankley Primary School, so that was six years ago, can't do my math, uh, 2014. Almost all primary schools in Aberdeenshire and Aberdeen City were run or, or, or the, the head of establishment was female. The heads of secondary school were only just beginning to become females. You look at universities now, where do we have principals that are female? So there's still that male bastion in tertiary education that, excuse me, you know, you can come and do your PhDs and you can come and be heads of department. But, you know, I don't think you're quite ready for head of the actually to run the university. And I'm beginning to feel quite strongly about it because it's a nonsense. If you go into hospitals now, there are lots of fantastic female consultants who are fantastic. Are they heads of department? I'm not sure. I would love to see the statistics on that one. Banks? Do we have, I think we've got some bank managers, but do they get any further up in the bank? Mm -mm. Lawyers, they are getting more female. I mean, my, my cousin um, went to university. She's four years younger than I am. She went to university and did law. And I remember in my family going, you're doing law? Now, she became one of, quite young, she became a partner in the law firm in Aberdeen that she was working with. 
but it's been a struggle. And I have a bit of a theory about it that when we come into nursery, we play, nothing is beyond our imagination. Nothing is beyond what we think we can do. And then we come into primary one, and into primary two, and we have to sit behind a desk, and we have to learn to read, we have to learn to count, whatever. So that area of creativity is already beginning to come a bit like this. Then as you go further up the primary school, there are assessments of all sorts of things. The minute you get into secondary school, I cannot believe that our second year pupils in secondary school are being asked to choose their subjects at what, the age of 13, 14? How, how can they possibly know what they really want to do? The, the width of their knowledge and understanding about what goes on in the world, world is still so narrow. They don't know what is possible. So then they're steered towards their O-levels. I took, I'm not sure what they're called now. And then it becomes even more narrow. that The subject, the number of subjects come down even further and that's it. And they're steered towards university or nursing or whatever, but probably to a degree. And then they come out the other end and that's it. They're on that, that wheel, that almost hamster wheel that goes round and round and they're almost stuck there unless they suddenly go, do you know this, I, I don't want to do this anymore. My associate is 37 years old, works in an oil company and will continue to do so. But through lockdown said, Rosie, I hate this now. It was the thing to do because we live in the northeast of Scotland, huge oil related companies and pressure on, on, on both genders to go into oil. And she just said, I'm not creative in my job and I want to be creative. House of Colour has, it's, it's a bizarre situation because House of Colour originated about 37 years ago when two of our founders had gone to an American company to have their colour and their style done. And they decided themselves, and, and this is unique, they decided themselves that that experience didn't go wide enough or deep enough, and they thought they could do better. So what did they do? They started a company. Now, 37 years ago, that would almost have been unheard of. And guess what's happening? House of Colour is now expanding in America. And our American colleagues are just taking off. They are making it work as their sole job as they're, they're, they're making money out of it, they're making their career out of it. And I had a discussion with our, our MD, and she said, of course, you see, the thing is, Rosie, nobody has told American girls coming up through school or women when they come out that they can't be entrepreneurs. We're never told that. Our education system does not tell us that we can do what we want to make money. And it's become so... It, it, so it, it, it's absolutely pinpoints assessment and it's about assessment of content of knowledge. It's not about our creativity or our uniqueness. It's about regurgitating what is being fed in one end, like a sausage machine. You know, it's fed in one end and you have to regurgitate it in the other in a different skin. Yeah. And I feel quite strongly it would be so good if we could just continue to allow children to have that curiosity and that creativity and that initiative, which yeah, yeah. we currently are kind of driving out of them. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting if they do cancel, I'm going out on a bit of a limb here, but if they do cancel the existing type of exams in Scotland, and it is done 
their assessment is done on continuous assessment, we may get a bit more of that. If we just take those exams out of the way, because there are plenty, plenty of other ways that we can actually assess children's ability and learning. I would actually like to assess their learning, never mind their ability. Yeah, and I would agree with you, Rosie. I think that if we can let everyone know that entrepreneurship is a route, a career route, a path that they can take, because I think it's it's not one that's shown to to young people very much, actually. Mm. So, yeah. And I, I think, too, that one of the best things that ever happened for women in education was the understanding about emotional intelligence, that the softer skills are actually part and parcel of entrepreneurial ability. You know, it's not that we're going to break down and cry every time somebody, you know, speaks harshly to us. We're actually, but we, we have that empathic understanding about what it's like to actually work hard and run a home and perhaps be on the, on the receiving end of a slight unpleasantness if you, if, if, if you are an entrepreneur. But we can, you know, we can deal with that. You know, it's not only men that can deal with that. And, and I think what's happening now is that you look now that, you know, in coaching and that area of business, it probably used to be a lot of women that went into coaching. And now that softer side of coach, coaching has actually permeated through to males as well. And you're finding males coming into coaching because they have an understanding about emotional intelligence that you don't have to be hard you don't have to be a man up and you know hold your emotions in check you can actually show people <clears throat> what's on the inside of you which I think is a, a real bonus for everybody. No I would agree actually I think yeah for a long time the message to women who wanted to achieve was to be ma masculine yeah. but that yeah. that's not the, the message yeah. that's yeah that's going out now I agree. Yeah it's, it's interesting, the, speaking about um, being masculine, when I first went into teaching um, in the primary sector, and well, actually, I think it happened in the secondary sector as well, we weren't allowed to wear trousers. We had to wear skirts. And it was the winter of discontent. Was that 1972, 73? And so we were into power cuts. So they were done in three-hour rolling programs. And so if you're school was having a power cut the children didn't need to come in but you had to come in and so I don't know wh where it came from but many of the women had said to the authorities right if we're coming in we ain't coming in in skirts we're going to come in in trousers to stay warm because the buildings were freezing cold and of course once we got into trousers we never actually got back into our you know having to wear skirts so and that was 1973 for goodness sake and it's, it's really interesting because if I look at what I then wore or latterly wore when I was head teacher at Bankery Primary School, I wore trousers quite a lot, but there were some interviews that I had that I knew were going to be difficult with some, maybe one of the dads. I didn't wear a skirt, I wore trousers. Isn't that interesting? And that that wasn't conscious. I mean, that was that was me just going into my wardrobe in the morning. That, that is still quite interesting. And given the knowledge you have now, 
and the knowledge that House of Colour have provided with us, it would be a conscious decision now. Well, it would be a very conscious decision now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. The colour as well. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating how you can, yeah, mm. Contr almost control the situation by choosing how you dress. Yeah. Well, absolutely, absolutely. And giving you, here we go again, it's giving you that confidence and courage that, yeah, you look good and you feel you feel good. And, and, and is that, as I say, it's that confidence, that self-awareness, that self-esteem that, yeah, you can, you can generate not only internally and naturally, but actually with the assistance of your wardrobe. Fascinating, fascinating. And that's kind of brought us back full circle, Rosie, to, to where we started the, mm. the interview. And what I tend to ask everybody that I interview is that I see this as a, a revolution that has to happen, you know, to get the balance with male and female entrepreneurs and scaling up their businesses. So just the final question, what do you feel that we can do to bring about this revolution? Be authentically brilliant in whatever we do. Make your clients, be they male or female, go wow. She knows what she's talking about. She knows what she's doing. I trust her in what she's doing. And it can be, yeah, I trust her to put me in the right colors, to put me in the right wardrobe. I just trust her. I trust her that I can share my pain points with. So it's about that trust as well as having the confidence in, we need to, we need to know what we're doing. We can't fake it. Whatever you do, don't fake it. Oh, brilliant conclusion. Thank you so much, Rosie. That's oh, I'll be using that in my social media. Don't <laughs> fake it. Be authentic. Yeah, don't fake it. Yeah. Oh, but thank you, Brenda. It's been just lovely. I just love it. You can tell I can't talk for Scotland about what it's I do. <laughs> an absolute pleasure to listen to you this afternoon, Rosie. Uh, great to hear about your journey and how you can help others and yeah how how we can make a difference you know right through mm. the education system as well so yeah let's get out there and tell everyone mm. that yeah get into entrepreneurship yeah thank you absolutely. so much rosie it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you brenda thanks for listening to scale her up the female entrepreneurs show don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and please join our Facebook community at Scale Her Up. Please connect with me, Brenda Hector, on social media and drop me a message to let me know you're enjoying the podcasts or even better, pop a wee review on iTunes. I'm going to finish by reminding you, only one in three UK entrepreneurs are female and men are five times more likely to scale their business to over one million in turnover than women. If we started and scaled our businesses to the same extent as men, it would add 250 billion to the UK economy and provide millions of jobs. Ladies, you can do it and we're going to make a massive difference. Mm -hmm.